First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. One by one, Jesse's son stood before the prophet. A new king would soon be found. It wasn't the oldest or the strongest chosen on that day. Even still, the giants fell and the nations trembled when they stood in his way. Where others saw a shepherd boy, God saw a king. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word today, as we read this familiar story, we pray that you would open our eyes to see it, you would open our eyes to see you, and then we might trust in you, our shepherd king. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, our church has been going through the book of 1 Samuel this year, and today, as has already been mentioned, we come to one of the most well-known and well-loved stories in all the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. And I have found that uh, many folks, uh, even who maybe are not as familiar with other stories in the Bible, are still familiar with this story of David and Goliath uh, because it comes up all the time in our culture. And you will hear references to David and Goliath all the time, especially in the sports world, uh, because David has become synonymous with the underdog. And we all love underdogs. Uh, one of the top five all-time great sports movies, in my humble but correct opinion, uh, is uh, the movie Hoosiers. Maybe you've seen that. Uh, if you haven't seen it, that is a shame. It needs to be remedied. But this is a story about a little pint-sized high school in Indiana called Hickory High. And against all odds, the Hickory High basketball team makes it all the way to the state championship game where they are matched up against a far bigger school with far bigger players. And in the locker room, just before the championship game, the chaplain of the team uses words from this chapter of the Bible. And he says, David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on the head, and he fell to the ground. And the message to the basketball team was clear. They were David. The other team was Goliath. And even though they were smaller, they could still defeat them. And oftentimes, that is how this story is read. But is that what this story is really about? Is this story really about how we are underdogs who can defeat the big guys? Is this story about how we can all stand up to the bullies in our lives? Is this story even primarily about how we can defeat all of the giants in our life, no matter how big they seem? I hope that we'll find by the time we're through today that this story is about a lot more than that, and this story is about something far more important than that. And I'll also say this, when we place ourselves in this story, we may not be the character that we think we are. But let's jump right into it. I've bitten off a big chunk of scripture today, 
Uh, chapter 17 has 58 verses in it. Uh, we won't read all of them, but we will we'll read most of them as we go along today. And so let's start by uh, finding out the when and the where of this famous battle. Look at the first three verses with me. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokol and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And the Philistines were Israel's most persistent enemies. We've already encountered them several times so far in 1 Samuel. And here they go again, encroaching on Israel's territory, uh, lining up against them in battle. Verse 2 says that the location of this particular battle was the Valley of Elah, which is located about 15 miles to the west of the town of Bethlehem. On one of my trips uh, to Israel, we were fortunate enough to be able to go to the Valley of Elah together. And while we were there, standing in that valley, uh, we acted out this story of David and Goliath. And we assigned uh, different characters to different members of our church who were on the trip with us. And uh, one of those, Mr. Tracy Anderson, if you don't know him, he is a, a big guy, and so he was typecast. Uh, in the role of Goliath in our little reenactment. And while we were uh, acting out the story, Tracy, our Goliath, uh, gets stung by a bee. Literally in the middle of us acting it out. And if that isn't crazy enough, do you know where he got stung? Right in the middle of his forehead. I'm not making this up. It was almost as if the Lord was right there with us in the reenactment. I'm pretty sure Tracy will not want to play the part of Goliath uh, again if we go back. But, but this valley, this valley of Elah is about a mile wide. And you can picture it with one army on one side and the other on the other side of the valley. And the valley running between them. That is the setting. And then in verses 4 through 7, we get the description of this giant Goliath who steps out into the valley and makes his challenge. Look at verse 4. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. I don't know who you think of when you think about a giant. Maybe some of us think about a giant athlete, maybe someone like Shaquille O'Neal. Maybe uh, others of us uh, think about this guy from wrestling fame or from Princess Bride, wherever you uh, know him, Uh, but Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant was a large, large man. He was seven feet, four inches tall, but Goliath was considerably taller than he was. Goliath was somewhere between nine and ten feet tall. And almost as if the narrator wants us to be impressed even more with him, he goes into great detail about Goliath's armor. He tells us about his bronze helmet, his coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. 
He speaks about his spearhead. The head of the spear itself weighed 15 pounds and the spear like a weaver's beam. And I think part of why he goes into such detail uh, about Goliath is he intends for us to see that Goliath is representing someone else. The Hebrew word there that is translated as his armor is literally the word scales. We are meant to see that Goliath is covered in scales, that he looks something like a serpent. And just like the serpent that went after God's children in the Garden of Eden, here was another snake coming after God's people again in the wilderness. The text says that he was the Philistine champion. This is the only time in in the Old Testament that this word champion is used. And the word literally means a go-between man. The champion was a mediator, a soldier that would stand between his army and the opposing army and would challenge them to a representative combat. In other words, rather than the two armies fighting each other, there would be one from each army that would fight one another, representing the two armies. And you see that idea in the daily taunt or the daily challenge that Goliath would make every day for 40 days. Look at the words that he said in verse 8. He stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And so day after day, Goliath would make this same challenge. And day after day, nobody responded. And you might think that King Saul, who we've already read was a full head taller than everyone else in Israel, might have stepped up to the challenge. But alas, he does not. If you look in verse 11, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So here is Goliath challenging and defying Israel. And Saul and the Israelites were petrified. None of them would dare fight him. And all of this sets the stage for David's entrance into the story. Of course, we met David back in chapter 16 as the shepherd boy of his father Jesse, the youngest of his eight sons, but also the one that God picked to be the next king of Israel, the one whom Samuel poured that flask of oil on his head and anointed him the next king, the one upon whom the Spirit of God rushed from that day forward. And so David's entrance gives us some hope in this story. Let's read the next section, starting in verse 12. We'll read down to verse 27 together. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, Next to him, Abinadab, and third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. 
Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the things, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. So when we left David in chapter 16, he was playing the harp for King Saul to help soothe him and calm him down whenever he would become agitated. But verse 15 tells us that David was juggling multiple things. Uh, Sometimes he would be with Saul. Uh, Sometimes he would be back in Bethlehem helping his father Jesse. And that's where he was on this particular occasion. And apparently, despite the fact that Samuel had anointed David as the next king of Israel, his family was still not all that impressed with him. His dad was still having him watch the sheep. Uh, His dad was still giving him jobs like this one, making him work for Uber Eats and delivering sack lunches to his big brothers who were in the army. But nonetheless, David is faithful in whatever he is asked to do. And so he takes the food and he runs from Bethlehem to the battlefield. He delivers the supplies and he greets his brothers and he gets there just in time to hear Goliath stepping out on the battlefield to make his daily challenge. And so as we just continue to walk through this famous story Today, There are at least three takeaways from this story for all of us. And first off, of course, we can learn from David in this story. Despite what I said earlier about this not primarily being a story about how we stand up to our own giants, that does not mean that we can't learn anything from the example of David in this passage. There's so much to learn from him. In fact, far more than we'll be able to talk about today. But particularly, I think that David is an example to us in the area of faith. The faith that he shows in the Lord throughout this story. First, I believe that from David's example of faith, we can learn that our faith should cause us to see everything differently from those without faith. That our faith should cause us to see everything differently from those who do not have faith. And you know, until David gets on the scene, there really isn't a lot of faith going on in this story at all on the part of God's people. Everybody is scared. Everybody uh, is so frightened that they're not willing to fight. Nobody seems to remember God's promises. Uh, Nobody, in fact, is even praying. 
in this story or asking God to help. There's no faith at all. There's only fear in the face of the giant. And maybe that should not surprise us because if you remember, the Israelites don't have a super great track record when it comes to facing giants. Centuries earlier, when they were on the brink of the promised land under Moses, Moses sent 12 spies to spy out the land that God promised to give them. And when those 12 spies returned, most of them were petrified. Most of them said, we cannot go into the land. Because why? Because there are giants there. And we seem to ourselves to be grasshoppers in our own sight compared to how big they were. And so because of their lack of faith, because they did not believe that they could defeat the giants, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. That number is significant. It's not by accident that this giant Goliath has been making his challenge for 40 days. And not one person out of all of Israel was willing to step up to the giant. By the time that David gets here, Israel has failed their test again. But because of his faith in God, David sees things differently than everyone else in Israel. And you can see David's faith even in the very first words of David that are recorded in the Bible. And you find those words in verse 26. David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Just before this, David had overheard the soldiers talking about the reward that King Saul was going to give to whichever man was able to defeat this giant. And the rewards were great rewards, the rewards of riches, the rewards of getting to marry the princess, King Saul's daughter, uh, the reward of his whole family, extended family, having a tax-free life uh, for the rest of their life in Israel. These were the rewards, and yet despite that, nobody would step forward. And so David said, what did you say? What did you say will be done for the man who defeats this giant? And it's easy to hear that and to think, oh, okay, well, then David is just really concerned about the reward. But, but I think that entirely misses the point. I think David is expressing shock that all of this would be done for the man who would defeat this giant. Because he is thinking, how could we not defeat this giant? David is thinking, how could any Israelite who is a part of the chosen people of God stand by and allow this giant, this uncircumcised Philistine, as David calls him, to stand there and to defy and, in fact, to taunt the armies of the living God? David's attitude is, why is anybody here allowing him to get away with this? The name of our God is on the line. Why do we need a reward to step forward and do something about this? David's perspective is totally different from everyone else in the story, including his brothers and including even King Saul. And sadly, I'm afraid David's perspective is very different oftentimes than even our perspective in the church today. One person said basically the question David was asking was this, doesn't having a living God make a difference in all of this? 
Doesn't the fact that we serve a living God make a difference in how we should view this situation? And of course, it's the same today. The fact that we serve a living God and a living Savior should cause us today in the church to see things, even in the world, differently from those who don't have faith. One of the ways we should see things differently is that we should be upset and angered when things dishonor God's name, when God is being dragged through the mud, and yet I'm afraid many times we get angry for the same reasons the world does, because we don't get our way. We should see things differently because of our living God. We should see our challenges as smaller than the world does because our living God is so large in our eyes by comparison. Yes, our faith in God should cause us to see everything differently, everything through spiritual eyes. Because David did see things differently, because he did keep God at the very center of his life, he was willing to step up and do different things than the people around him were willing to do. In verses 28 through 31, David's brothers, who I'm sure were still a little bent out of shape, that David, the youngest, was chosen by God and chosen by Samuel instead of them, gives David a hard time, as brothers often do, but David is undeterred. And eventually, word reaches all the way up to King Saul that there is someone who is willing to fight the giant. And so Saul calls for David to speak with him. Let's pick up the story there in verse 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. You know, another thing that we can learn about faith from David is this, that our faith rests on who God is and on what God has done. Nowhere in this story does David say that his confidence rests in himself and his own strength and his own abilities. At every turn, David says that his confidence is in his God. That is what he does here with King Saul. He tells King Saul that I will go and fight uh, this giant. And you can almost just picture King Saul patting David on the head and saying, isn't that so cute? You want to go and fight him? Give him a sticker. Thank him for coming to see the king, you know, and run him back out to the battlefield. And yet, this is when David tells Saul about his previous exploits, about the lions and the bears that 
uh, he had killed when he was a shepherd. How when they came to take one of his sheep away, he would track them down. He would grab them by the beard and he would slay them. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them. Why? Because he's defying the armies of the living God. And that's the key. He has pitted himself against the living God of Israel. And because he has done that, he is already toast. He has no chance because he's going against God. In verse 37, look at his words. This is a key verse in this passage. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. His faith is entirely in the God who saved him. And so what is David doing here? David is remembering the mo- in this moment who his God is and what his God has already done in the past. And he is letting that strengthen his faith in the presence. That the God who did that, that the God who came through then is a God who is fully capable of handling this right now. And we need to do the same thing today. We don't need to be overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life, no matter how big and how terrifying they may appear to us. We need to remember that our God is bigger, that our God is stronger, that he is faithful, that he has provided for us so many times in the past and that one way or another he will come through again. We need to look back at our faith journey and do what David did. Remember that the God who did all of that, the God who did all of that back then is a God who is fully able to handle this right now in our lives. After Saul heard such confident faith from the lips of little David, he changed his mind and he told him he could fight the giant. And he said, go and the Lord be with you. And I have the feeling that Saul already knew the Lord was with David. And that is why he agreed to send him. Of course, Saul also tried to send David with his own armor, which was far too big for him. And there's a lot of application in that as well. But for the sake of time, I'll just say this, that it's important that personally, we don't try to wear someone else's armor to do what God has called us to do. It won't fit us and it won't help us. And in the church, it's important to remember also that we are not to use the world's armor and the world's weapons to fight our spiritual battle. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or earthly, but they're spiritual and they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And those weapons are the only ones that we need. Let's pick up the story there in verse 40. Let's read about the battle itself. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. 
And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose. And came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. And he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So David goes to the brook and he selects five stones and puts them in his shepherd's pouch. And then with nothing in his hand but his sling and his staff, he goes and stands before this armored serpent, this armored giant Goliath. And if we were there that day seeing the disparity of these two combatants, the the disparity could not have been greater. The one was a monster of a man who looked invincible, and the other was a little boy who looked out of place. It was a total mismatch. And yet, in reality, the mismatch was exactly the other way around. Because Goliath had no chance whatsoever. Because the one he was really fighting with was God. And David knew that. David knew God was going to fight for his honor that day. And because God was fighting with him, David knew that really he could not lose. And we who follow Christ should know the same. Like David, our faith assures us that in the end, God's people cannot lose. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that nothing bad will happen to us in this life. God does not promise us that in his word. It doesn't mean even that those who follow Christ can never be killed by the Goliaths of this world. After all, that happens every day to our brothers and our sisters who are martyred for their faith all over the world, not because they lack faith in God, but precisely because their faith in God is so great. But by faith, we also know where all of this is heading. We know that in the end, our great God wins. And we know that if we know him, that we will win with him. Indeed, we know that if we belong to him, we, like David, cannot lose. I don't know if you noticed it, but actually more space is given in this text to David's speech than is given to the actual battle account itself, which is almost over before it started. In verses 45 through 47, David announces to Goliath and to all those who are listening why he is so confident. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with God. He told Goliath, you come at me with a spear and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord our God. He said, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He said, all the earth will know today that there is a God in Israel because of what happens on this battlefield. He said, the Lord does not need a sword or a spear because the battle belongs to him. And with that, David literally runs out to meet the giant. I love that. Have that image locked in your mind of this little boy with great faith in God running out to meet 
the giant. And as he runs, he takes a stone from its pouch and he puts it in the sling and he begins to spin it and he lets it go. And it takes good aim and it strikes Goliath. And the only place his armor did not protect him. And he fell to the ground with a glorious thud. And David ran to where the giant was, face down on the earth. And since he had no sword, he had to borrow Goliath's sword. And he used it to finish him off and to cut off his head, just like he told Goliath he would. And the text says, when the Philistines saw that, when they saw that Goliath, their champion, was dead, all of their cheering and all of their excitement turned to panic. And they turned tail and they fled. And in verse 52, the Israelite soldiers shouted and chased after them and pursued them all the way back to their homes. And we've already seen one takeaway, and that's the truth that we can learn some things from David. We can learn a lot of things from David here, but but here's the second takeaway, which is equally important. And we need to understand that even though we can learn from David in this story, we are not David in this story. I know saying that doesn't make us feel great because All of us, myself included, like to think of ourselves as David in this story. We like to put ourselves in the leading role. And in our minds, we are David with the sling in our hands, and we are going out to face the giant. In our minds, we're the underdogs. And the world tells us that if we just believe in ourselves, that we can defeat the giants. But believing in ourselves is actually the exact opposite message from what this passage says tells us to do. Now in the church, we kind of baptize the moral of that story in spiritual language, and we say something like this. We say, well, I can defeat my giants because I trust in the Lord like David did. Now there is some truth in that, but again, it's not the main idea of this story. As much as it hurts to admit it, we are not David in this story. We are Israel. And we are standing on the sidelines watching all of this, and we are quaking in fear because of the size of the giant who stands out on the other side of the valley. The Goliath that we all face, the biggest problem that any of us have is the giant of sin. And sin is a giant problem for all of us. The Bible says that because of our sin, we are under God's wrath. We are deserving of his judgment. And to make matters worse, there is nothing we can do about it. We are powerless against it. It is a giant that we cannot fight. And so like Israel, what do we need? We need a champion. We need a go-between man, someone to take the field of battle in our place, someone to, to stand there and to have a representative battle on our behalf to earn a victory that we cannot and could not win on our own. No, we are not David, but like Israel, we desperately need a David. And here's the final takeaway. Praise God, we have a David. We have a David, a greater David, who stepped out from our ranks to fight the giant that we could never defeat. He was the go-between man who stood in the valley between us and death, who stood in the valley between us and the judgment of God that was ready to fall upon our head, the judgment that we deserved because of our sin. Like the David in this story, our David was also a son of Jesse, 
Our David was also from the little town of Bethlehem. He was also anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism. And right after his baptism, where did he go? He went out in the desert to do battle against that serpent of old, Satan himself. And like David, he emerged victorious. Like David, our champion, he was harassed. He was belittled by his brothers. And when his hour came, when it came time for the real battle, the reason why the Son of God came in the first place, all of us were just standing there on the sidelines, watching him as he stepped out onto the battlefield all alone, without a sword in his hand. Our great champion didn't even have a sling or a stone. Rather, all he had was a beam of wood stretched across his shoulders. And we watched him as he climbed up a hill called Golgotha, the place of a skull. We watched him as he was nailed to the cross and all of our sin was placed on him. We watched him as all the powers of hell were arrayed against him. We watched him as the Father's wrath was poured out upon him because he was paying the price that our sins deserved and he was the only one who could. And we were watching as he gave up his spirit and he died. And as they took his body down from the tree and they laid it in the tomb and it seemed like all hope was lost. But then we were also watching when three days later our champion rose up from the dead in total victory. And in so doing... Jesus Christ, our champion, not only slayed the Goliath of sin, but he also slayed the Goliath of death. And he also slayed the Goliath of Satan. And in the same way that David gave the serpent Goliath a fatal head wound, so did Jesus, our champion. And just as was promised long ago, Satan had bruised his heel, but Jesus had crushed his head through his death and his resurrection. And the good news for us is even though we are Israel in this story, even though we are standing on the sidelines just watching the fight, even though we did not even lift one finger in the battle, this is a representative battle. It is not army against army. It's our champion against the enemy. And even though we didn't have to fight, and even though we couldn't fight, we get to share in the total victory that Jesus, our champion, has won for us. No, we are not David. But praise God that we don't have to be because we already have a David. And we already have a champion who has already won the battle for us. And that is what the story of David and Goliath is really about. It's not a call for us to muster up our courage to go out and kill our proverbial giants. It's a call to put our trust and our hope and our great, great champion who already did. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. That there was a battle that we could not fight against a giant that was far too big for us. And like Israel, we stood in need of a champion to step out from our ranks and to go head to head with this giant. And we thank you, Father, that in your sovereign plan, in your goodness to us, in your grace to us, you have given us that great champion. 
your one and only Son, Jesus, our Lord, who came into this world, who fought the enemy, and who crushed his head. And Father, we know because that giant has been defeated, that Father, you will give us the grace and the strength to fight the lesser giants that we encounter in this life. So Father, help those of us who are called by your name, those of us in this room that are your children by faith in you. Help us, Father, to walk with courageous faith. Not because of our strength, but because of yours and because the battle belongs to you. Father, I pray for any in this room who have maybe heard of this story but have never put their trust in their champion who died for them and rose again. Father, today may they come to personally know you, to turn from their sin, to turn to you in total faith and surrender. Father, thank you for being our great champion. Thank you that the victory is ours because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.